0: Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey Bruce.
1: Hey David. How are you doing today? Today. today.
0: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little sore Bruce. So I was in a mini tournament in my uh, vintage hockey league oh, yeah. this morning. My teammate uh, Bob Morrissey uh, instructed me to say that our team won two games and only lost one. So I'm Excellent. doing that right you play now.
1: played three games today?
0: Three 25-minute games. It's oh, right in right. a row, bang, okay. bang, bang. Ooh. And it was a lot of fun. It's just, Bruce, right. this is the fat, most fantastic uh, league I've ever been in, in my life. It's oh, good. very well run. It's over-55 league, and uh, everyone's having mm-hmm. a great time. How are you doing?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, no, no, uh, no testosterone overflow when they get 55-plus. <clears throat> There's still probably a few. Is there that far fewer Bruce.
0: our testosterone <laughs> levels drop and you can actually see it on the ice it's not listen hockey brings out the worst in canadians it's just no it brings wow. out our best uh, yeah it brings out our worst
1: Depends and i've seen it dreams yes. i've seen
0: it for years now in minor hockey yeah. and in men's hockey and it's much better playing with um older older uh gentlemen they are all just grateful to be playing hockey and uh, there's generally a good uh, good spirit in the games.
1: The segue, it brought out the best and the worst, not in that order, of the Edmonton Oilers today. Between the second and the third period, it was like the entire team had been replaced and needed to be.
0: And, <laughs> well, Bruce, one of, the, one of the sayings in hockey that we've all said, you can't turn it on and turn it off.
1: Oh, yeah? Except
0: when you can. Except when you're the Edmonton Oilers and there's a huge gap in the talent. They're facing a team that's lost nine in a row or whatever it is. And it's a struggling team. And um, yeah, the Orders just, just turned it on and uh, crushed Arizona in the third period. What do they get? Four goals in the third period. Yes. So uh, three. Uh, it was ugly for the Arizona fans and the Arizona team. Maybe, like, if you listen to the experts, there's not going to be an Arizona team very much longer. Good riddance. <laughs> They stole their team from Winnipeg. I've never liked them. And if they lose their team, I'm okay with that. Sorry, Arizona hardcore Arizona fans, but that's how I feel.
1: It sounded like there was a, at least as many Oilers fans as uh, Coyotes fans in the little Mullet Arena today. <clears throat> yeah. So they had a pretty small building age. Uh, Louie kept talking about being 10 feet away from the action, and he wasn't yeah. standing between the benches at the penalty box, but it <laughs> He said, it's a fast game, not just because we're so close to it, basically.
0: Yeah. Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast with one conundrum. Uh, we'll go with two good things each because it's it was kind of an exciting victory. In the end, the 6-3 victory, I'll just give the grade-A shots, which were 13-9 um, to nine for Arizona in the game. Wow. And subset of five alarm shots, the most dangerous shots were four to three for the Oilers. So there wasn't a lot of action in this game. There wasn't a lot of really dangerous chances. But Arizona did get the get more of the chances than the Oilers. What's your first oh, good
1: thing? Bruce? Were they in the second period, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, one, two, six, six to two. Yeah, okay. So they basically got half their five alarm shots in the middle frame, eh?
0: Or oh,
1: they're great A shots, yeah. Great A's, yeah. Sorry, yeah. yes. Right. Well. What's
0: your first good thing, Bruce?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, I'm going to go with Ryan McLeod, who I thought had an absolutely mm. terrific game for Everton today. Uh, at the end of the day, he had uh, one assist, uh, but plus three, and he was instrumental in all three of the three. Uh, but early in the in the sequence on two plays, uh, where in each case this was the uh, the 2-1 goal in the first period, where it looked like Arizona had a free path out the left wing boards and Fogel threw himself in the corner and they chipped the puck past him and McCloud just threw himself into it. and Got inside a uh, Arizona guy, took it, took himself hard to the wall to get in the path of the puck and then he basically battled for the puck along the sideboards for uh, good five seven seconds like they just couldn't get it past him and eventually the guy who did force it past him just got it as far as the blue line and DeHarnay whipped it over to the other point kulak fired it toward the net and it got tipped in from directly in front by matthias janmark or it bounced off matthias janmark. i'm not quite sure how it, proceeded. it just hit his body yeah yeah i think it was like his other goals here that it hit him in the Hit him in the body and bounced in. <laughs> anyway, it was a uh, it was a cycle that only happened because Ryan McLeod refused to sort of just turn around and coast back out into the neutral zone. But he was hard on the battle, hard on the puck, uh, and then uh, uh, on the uh, on the winning goal. This was the one where uh, he took uh, Drysaddle's great pass at the blue line, uh, beat the defenseman and got hooked. I think they were calling it was a delayed penalty based on McLeod's uh, fine rush. And then again, there was some good, uh, uh, some good uh, uh, work on the on the boards. And yeah. uh, uh, again, on that far. Uh, Top left of the screen, same board, same him and, him and uh, uh, Fogel again, and they worked it out. And uh, this time it was uh, Eckholm who worked it over to, uh, no, wait a minute, it was Bouchard who worked it over to Eckholm, and he shot, and Hyman tipped it in. It was almost the same play in terms of <clears throat> they stormed the right wing bo- bo- boards in the offensive zone, and the right defenseman was able to field the puck, shoot it over to the other side. That guy shot, and the guy in front tipped it in. In this case, Hyman's deflection was very deliberate and beautifully done. Just wait, Taked is that out of the air?
0: Isn't that Kane's goal? Just wait, I'm
1: this confused. Is, this is the, uh oh, wait a minute. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah that was Kane's, Kane's goal. goal it was a 3-3 three, three goal that was scored yeah. on the, on the uh, delay. Correct. And that, that was. Uh, Bouchard
0: uh, put it on uh, over to Kane on a nice pass. Right. And Kane's
1: right right my bad yeah it was a, and then uh, on the five three again it was uh this was the one where mcleod jumped into the middle with the shot and uh kane got a little piece of it and tipped it in front yeah McLeod came uh, came firing up the middle and and let i thought originally it was his goal and in the end they gave it to uh, uh they gave it to kane
0: there was yeah. such a flurry of goals there, Bruce. Yeah. It's a little wonder you're getting them I'm all. Gonna mixed to, up I'm gonna to, have
1: to watch him again. It's like yeah. bang, bang, bang. And <laughs> yeah, in two the minutes, there two.
0: was three goals. So that was, yeah. What did what he must have taken his Ryan Smith pills today or mixed and mixed them with yeah. his JP Perise pills because he was just he was he was really digging in and yeah. really battling hard mm-hmm. in a way that, um, it's fantastic to see. And it blends in with my good thing, um, I think last podcast I mentioned that I'd like to see them go back to McLeod with Drysaddle. And I was wondering why they moved away from it. I'm still Mm -hmm. curious about that. But anyway, they did go back to it at the start of the third period. It was uh, part of a a major shift in the lines. He went back to the McDavid um, uh, R&H Hyman line and he, and then he had uh, Drysaddle with uh, Kane and McLeod. And it just seems like, that's a good combination for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why. I think it has to do with McLeod's speed. Um, he's as fast a player on the ice as there is, not named Connor McDavid. He's really fast. He's even faster. Fogel's not a slow player, but McLeod's even faster. And I think um, he he's skilled enough with the puck. When he gets the puck, he's not looking to dominate with the puck but he can he has those moments with the puck where he gets it and he can he get he gets his feet moving and he gets space and then he's able to give it to Kane or saddle so which is always a really good play because both those guys know what to do when they have the puck especially Leon Dreisaitl so uh that might be why the line works I mean Kane loves playing with saddle I think too so there's there's that so there's that bit of mm-hmm. chemistry that you have going and Kane's always around the net. He's always shooting. So it's a good complimentary to McLeod who's not around the net and is rarely shooting if we're honest. So, um, yeah, you have a, a very fast big perimeter player. I think Nugent Hopkins actually would probably work pretty well in a similar kind of way with this group, but McLeod's probably better because, um, He's just that much faster than Nuge, and he's got that much more wingspan for pop and pucks. So, I really like that line being reunited. I think they should, I think they should stick with it, Bruce. I'm not convinced of McLeod as a third line center. Um, I think that's where they, you know, this isn't the the most popular opinion, but I, I I do think that's where they should make the trade. Is for if you know the first trade that they make, the most important trade they make. They need another big. They need another strong defensive center um, in this group and um, put McCloud on the wing.
1: Well, they put him on the wing tonight and they left Nuge on the wing. So that left a little bit, I think, weakness in the bottom six at center. Uh, I didn't mind Holloway shuffling it, but they they did. They, they held their own uh, and, for sure something needed to be switched up after the second period in fact pretty much everything needed to be switched up after the second period at least the forwards they were skating in mud and getting beaten to pucks left and right by uh, by um speedier Arizona guys playing on 19 hours rest and a travel in between and i did not enjoy that Anyway,
0: more determined, more determined yeah. Arizona <laughs> players. Hungrier, far hungrier. Yeah, yeah
1: well, Arizona they were for 40 players. minutes. Yeah, they were. Anyway, it was uh, uh, the uh, the move paid off. You know, I'm not sure how much time that McLeod has played wing with um, uh, Dry and Kane. It seems to me when he moved up before, it was him it was and, and, and Fogel. You're right. And then when Kane got moved back there, it was Kane and Fogel playing with Dry Saddle and McLeod went back to 3C because I think they point. they wanted him to play 3C was kind of what precipitated the move mm-hmm. because they were having trouble down the bottom of the lineup. And so I'm not sure that if this if – they, they obviously must have tried it, but uh, this this was the first game I started remembering. Those three uh, – like Drysaddle's played with all of those guys quite a bit, but uh, that was – First time I remember him quite like this, and it That's, sure worked. Yeah. yeah,
0: I like. I would like to see Holloway give him a run of five games at, at center, third line center, to see how he does because I I like him at center. I think he's um, he seems to command the play more when he's at center than when he's on the wing. He's 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 a bit more physical than McLeod, and um, He's, he might read the play a little bit better at centre than he does on the wing. I'm not saying he reads it better than right. McLeod, but he, he he himself reads it better at centre than on the wing. I think it's his, where he's most comfortable. So I wouldn't mind seeing Holloway try it at centre, see if that works. I mean, they do have this short amount of time before the trade deadline now. Right. It's uh, still... It? it is getting... It's like it's getting down to a couple weeks now. Three and a half than, weeks? Yeah, so... Anyway, yeah, I like I like those changes. What is your second good thing, Bruce?
1: Well, I'm going I'm going to go with Evander Kane, and uh, who scored uh, the three three and then the five three goals in in the third period, and his his line with um, Nugent Hopkins and Hyman, I thought they struggled in the first two periods. And honestly, I thought Kane made the two best defensive plays of of that line when twice after a long and unsuccessful shift in their own end, he was able to corral a puck inside his own end and just lob it, you know, just, just calmly get under it and dump it down the ice and get off. And it was the right play, and he didn't, you know, just turn it over inside the blue line, as happens. But those weren't entirely positive shifts before that. Uh, but in the third period on the new line uh he he um, was uh uh very noticeable. Uh, he wound up leading the team in shots with three uh hits with two uh, at least among forwards he led uh he led the group uh but uh the great shot that he let go from outside that tied it oh, and that was shot. a wicked drive and then uh uh the five three where he went into you know, They, right, battled in the net front and got got a piece of the puck and tipped it in. The three deflections. I haven't scored on today, and yeah, I guess you could call them Californians, but they were
0: sure the Hyman's goal certainly was. That was a classic.
1: That was a Joe Pavelski special.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If Hyman can play that Pavelski game, and he is. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a very... You can keep playing that uh-huh. game. It's like, how old is Joe Pavelski? 90, and he's still tipping yeah, he's in shots, still, so... He's still doing
1: it. Yeah, yeah he sure is. Uh, I I like Kane's engagement in this game, I, even as his line wasn't particularly clicking. I didn't see that as being necessarily his problem. In fact, I thought uh, Hyman and Nugent Hopkins were struggling a lot in the first two yeah, periods. I don't like that line. And... Uh, Hyman came out of his shell a bit in the third period as well and notched the game winning goal. So, but it was, uh, 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 you know, a game where you needed a game breaker. And today that was uh, arguably Evander Kane.
0: So, um, Kane now has 18 even strength goals, I believe. Wow. And um, that's second highest on the team after Zach Hyman. So, um, you know, he's ahead of both McDavid and Drysettle when it comes to even strength goals, which is saying something. I mean, he's two of the best players in the NHL. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's got... Vander Kane has his critics. There's lots of people oh, yeah. who are not big Vander Kane fans, but, man, he can still shoot that puck. And he's still an, a, an intimidating hockey player. And yeah. I think he's going to, again, I keep saying this, I think he's going to help the orders win in the playoffs. Um he, he needs to be
1: goals now, eh?
0: Yeah, he needs to be with the right teammates. He needs to another reason McLeod might work if you and, and I think you're right, Bruce. I, I think it was Fogle, um, McLeod and Dry Settle. It was them that had that success, or it wasn't Kane. But I think the, the why McLeod might work with Kane and Dreisidel is in, in the playoffs, I think what we're going to see is the best defensive hockey we've ever seen from Leon Dreisidel. Um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be solid. But Kane, McLeod is a I think McLeod's a really good defensive hockey player. He's very conscientious, and I think he'll make up for some of Kane's shortcomings. The vendor Kane isn't a super conscientious <laughs> defensive hockey player. Um he it's not his forte. He's no, great fair. hitting, battling, intimidating, shooting the puck, making skill plays, and he's 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 good enough at those things that it makes up for. Generally speaking, makes up for some of the defensive lapses. But with McLeod out there, I think that you could probably get away with that line. I think that line will 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 do okay, and create more than it gives up, uh, even in a playoff situation against good teams. So I I just think it's a possibility. Like. There is talk that there might not be. I just was listening to Frank Saravali on Orders now this morning, and he, you know, he says the market for top six wingers isn't huge. There's not a lot of them that are going to be available. You might not be able to get that player. You might have to find it within your roster. Mm-hmm. And if that's my, that could be McLeod. That could be the yeah. guy.
1: Yeah. Well, he certainly, you know, he he brings a couple of things to that line that. Uh, uh, are helpful. I mean, one of it's just sort of raw speed, but also his defensive chops. Like he skates just as hard going back towards his own end as he does up the ice. And he's quite responsible defensively. Like yeah. he's been on, like the other team score about one, 1. 1.5 goals for every 60 minutes he's been on the ice this year, which is very good. And uh, he's, uh, you know, an outscoring player. Like he's got a over 60% goal share at this point and a lot of that's yeah. playing third line and when he has played, moved up the lineup and played with Drysaddle he's been successful so let's see a little bit more and uh, uh, it might be cheaper or easier to find a 3C type or a bottom 6C than a, than a yeah. uh, high end winger who's going to cost the sun, moon and stars apparently by
0: or oh, Philip Roberg, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, well, they the apparently the owners aren't keen on moving him, but if,
1: yeah.
0: Anyway, um, yeah,
1: Philip Roberg, won't be trading him.
0: <laughs> um, my second good thing is is Leon Dreisaitl. He he was um, he had made some great plays this game, oh. and uh, he went he went in there. Um, the first goal was a power play goal. Just a nice movement of the puck, and Leon uh, gets a pass from Connor McDavid, and Leon took it right in and picked his spot. And you <laughs> know, that ability to score um, cannot be underestimated, and he can really do it. He's just fan he just has fantastic hands, and uh, that was evident on that play. In poor, the
1: poor Matt Villata. Making his first NHL start, and I think that was the second shot he faced. Leon, eyeball to eyeball. Welcome to the NHL, son.
0: Top corner, (laughs) (laughs) top shelf. Grandma keeps the cookies. All right. Then he made another really nice pass. It was a very subtle pass at the blue line to Sandy and Ryan McLeod early in the third period, and McLeod got tripped up, and that's what led to the uh, Kane's Kane's goal um, Mm
1: -hmm. early in
0: the third period. And um, what is the third pass? Oh, yeah, he he just made two fantastic moves. You know, both he and McDavid um, have this great move where they're moving up towards the blue line with the the um, kind of the puck against the boards, and then Mm -hmm. they spin back on their backhand. And it's an unbelievably difficult move to make for any hockey player, even at the NHL level. Few players can make that move and shake uh, the defender. But Connor does it Uh, like nobody else. (laughs) He breaks their ankles. He breaks their knees off. (laughs) Leon breaks their ankles, though. And he did there. He he shook the guy, and then he then he he twisted back, I think, and made the pass into the high slot for McLeod, who got the outside shot, um, and Kane ticked it in. It was, but again, just unbelievable, beautiful puck control yeah. and passing from Leon Dreisaitl. Uh He got an assist on the empty net goal as well, making a nice little short pass.
1: Yeah, I liked how the how he used the space that was available to him. Yeah, on that one where he went, you know, he sort of picked his holes as he moved up the wall. And then when the other team started to panic and, and try and double team him, that's when he found McLeod open and boom.
0: It's such a key to, to, to hockey, like at the NHL level, it's there's so little space on the ice. Yeah. There's so little and it's getting less space, right? The players yeah. are getting bigger, they're getting faster, they're getting more skilled. The defend their defenders are better trained, they're more disciplined. So there's just very little space. And what the really good players do is just find that little pocket of yeah. space. And it's often by backing off the player cutbacks. It's with cutbacks, yeah. it's not always going hard to the net. Yeah. Um, sometimes that works, but some often it's cutting back or moving back yeah. or moving sideways. And Leon is a master at that, um, with his puck skills and his and his big uh frame.
1: The great one was the grandmaster of that. Wayne was. He
0: was, wasn't he? Yeah,
1: he really was. finding little slavers, doing those cutbacks, pulling defenders toward him and slipping the pucks past him and right on the tape of some other guy, typically Curry, burning in on that. Such a (laughs) smart,
0: smart hockey player. They're all like there are lots of really smart players now. The like, Lakers and you know the way mm-hmm. the tricks that Wayne did, they've all like the the great players now all do those tricks. And plus,
1: they try and do them.
0: They try and do them. <laughs> they they do them. Not all of them, but yeah, it's a different league. It's a little bit more was more wide open then. It's fair yeah, to say.
1: Tournaments are bigger.
0: Now oh, they are for sure. And you know how many six six. Five, six, seven defense were in the NHL when Wayne was playing. There was some. Yep. But there's like one on every team now. Shell
1: Samuelson, the skating tripod. He was 6'8". <laughs> uh, bad
0: things. Oh, bad things.
1: <sighs> yeah. I I didn't see until later in the game, and he was okay in the end, I suppose. But I thought Stu Skinner was really fighting it today. Yeah, And he just didn't seem to be zoned in, and he got beat early by that Nick Bukestad rocket, one of two Nick Bukestad rockets, Uh, this is not a typo, that beat him high, and... On both of them, frankly, I thought he left his feet too early and he dropped and the puck came up and over his shoulder. First one dinged him right in sort of the side of the ear on the way in. That's a goalie's nightmare. You, you hear the puck hit the mask. I mean, that's bad uh, enough, but then it bounces yeah. into the net. And this wasn't a flip shot like McDavid does from the side that tries to bank it in. This was a bullet from, from medium distance. And then the uh, um the middle goal of the of the three was the uh, power play goal and it was a a good passing play they went from the wing to the middle and right back to the same wing again and there was a guy right in Stu's eyes and he didn't see it and like he didn't even know where the puck was I'm pretty sure yeah, he lost it And his left glove, which should kind of be blocking, you know, where the left glove goes, he pushed out in front to try and push the guy out of his way. Well, guess where the shot went just as he was doing that up. So he was beaten high three different times and he wasn't really in, I didn't think, great position on any of the three goals. And... It was, you know, it was a little bit nervous time. At uh, are they going to get it together? And the third they did. And Stu, you know, he made two or three really nice saves with his pads on low shots where they were, tried to pick the corner and he kicked them out. And he didn't stink in this game, but he didn't. Uh, he didn't have a great game. And uh, the goals, you know, I'll just say, just from the goalie's perspective, uh, I don't think he's probably very happy with those goals. And then I'll let you uh, dig a yeah. little deeper into one of those goals in terms th- of what the other guys didn't do. The
0: third goal, I thought, um, the I ahead goal in the second period from Arizona, Bruce, I did think that Stu, like, he, like in, he had a moment where he stunk. And I just think if you look at the replay of Bugstad coming down the wing on this play, and it's not the only mistake, I'll get into the other ones in a second, but... Skinner's leg is on the outside of the post mm-hmm. and he's leaving the whole rest of the net to shoot at. He just, he, he lost his net essentially, Yeah. instead of um being more, a little bit more centered and Bugstad just picked the, the side that was open. So I just think that was a, you know, it was an outside shot. This is usually a shot from that spot in the NHL is about, I'm gonna say it's a 10% shot, maybe 15%. It's between 10 and 15, depending on the shooter. It is not a great A shot. It's a shot that the goalie should have almost every, you know, nine, nine, or you know, 9.5 out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times.
1: Yeah, it was a good shot, it, it was a you good shot. The but the goalie to have it, it's a B shot to me.
0: But he was out of position on it. Like yeah. just what, look at his outside skate. It's on the outside of the post. I'm pretty sure. And it's like, what? Well, why? Yeah. I don't understand that. But this there was lots of bad things. There were so many bad things, so many oh, bad shit. things. So yeah, it's the fourth line that's out there, Gagne, Ryan, and uh I'm not sure who was on the fourth oh, line all the way oh, at that my. point. Yeah, and um they they enter the zone at about the um, 10 minute mark. And um they're there they're they're there for the next 45 seconds absolutely buzzing the Oilers net. They get five shots at net and um, they're beating the Oilers to every single puck. Now, this is going to happen now and then when you play. They're they're playing a zone in their own. They're playing a zone under block And, um, you know, it's a little bit more passive in terms of attacking the puck carrier. So I think what we're seeing now is, is that we've seen this in recent games where they've been buzzing the Oilers. And... Um, I mean, obviously in a zone, you can still attack the puck carrier with the puck. It's still five on five. But there is there's a bit more hesitancy, and they're just getting on the they're getting on the orders, they're getting to lose pucks before the orders are getting there. And this just happened again and again and again. So finally, I think it's Bouchard who lofts it out down, and the Arizona defenseman goes to his end and retrieves the puck. He's got full possession of the puck. And two oilers, Gagnier and Derek Ryan, Sam Gagne and Derek ryan two veteran, smart veteran hockey players, even though there's full possession of the puck um, and it's not an ideal time to change when that happens, they decide to get off. And I actually think it was probably the right decision because they were just gassed. They didn't have anything more. You're useless. You could, you're just as good as useless if you don't have anything more, so get off the ice. Nonetheless, it leads to... It leads to a dangerous rush if they if they if they weren't you know if they had, if they hadn't been so gassed because they had been outplayed so badly in their own zone they might have been able to stay on the ice and make a play they weren't they got off and they contributed to this goal against but um the the major culprit other than skinner was matthias akholm who for the second time on the first Bugstad goal he did the same thing he moved up in the neutral zone to make a pinch Bugstad. He missed it. He lost the battle. Bukestad goes in and scores. Same thing here. Ekholm's wandering up in, into the middle of the ice. And we've seen this a number of times in recent games. He's been making some bad decisions uh, in terms of his neutral zone pinching and forcing of the play. When a defenseman's really on his game, he's making this play all the time. He's forcing it. He's stopping them there. It's a, It's You want to see your defenseman forcing things in the neutral zone, but he, he when it doesn't work, can lead to two-on-ones. And here we go again. Bueckstad charging, charging in because Matias Ekholm's out of the play, and and we've already talked about Skinner on the play. So it was a h- horrendous sequence of pain for the Edmonton Oilers and their fans, and it ended up uh, with Arizona taking the lead momentarily.
1: Yeah, well, for Ekholm it was a shift of minute forty-five, and for Holloway one forty-one, for Gagne one thirty-one, for Ryan one twenty-two. So they had joined the to play on the fly but they all went off at the same time and they, you know those are Holloway those guys, holloway those guys aren't exactly well the minuses went to all other went to the, <clears throat> the david dry line i really had no oh, chance i thought holloway but, was out there uh, holloway was uh, supposedly the guy who went off first uh just before the other two guys and i watched ryan and uh Gagné going off the ice and thinking well those guys are slow at the best of times and now they're you know they're on uh, one percent lactic acid or is it 99 (laughs) percent lactic acid and one percent energy anyway what they were trying to get off to the bench and that second period change it is brutal and the oilers have all kinds of trouble with it and it's so hard, far to get to the bench. And then the guy coming on, you know, he's coming. If the puck's in the neutral zone, you're behind it. If you're coming off of the far bench and uh, much more difficult. So it was sort of a semi-odd man rush. And because and home got beat and then, um, again, just no save. Made. They always needed one there. And seemed like when they finally got the puck out, they were out of trouble. But just Arizona just wheeled right back in back. They certainly did.
0: What is your number, Bruce?
1: Yeah, well, it has to do with uh, third periods, second periods. And this is just from the last uh, five games. Uh, Oilers. uh, uh, Outscoring? Yeah. Uh, Well, it'll actually be from the last six games because I just realized this thing is not updated unless they've changed it in the last few seconds. And I haven't. Okay, so. Goals four in the, uh, in the first period, uh, uh, six. This is in the last six games, six four and six against. In the second period, four four and 14 against. Four goals for 14 against in the second period. And then in the third period, 13 four, five against. So it's like the Oilers in the second period and the Oilers in the thirteen in the third period. It's like they send down their AHL team between periods and call in their NHL replacements to finish up. It's like it's like they're two completely different hockey clubs, and it's not just today's game. It happens a lot.
0: Okay, so my question is: Is this just random, or like because because we tend to think, okay, they're outscoring them in the third period. This is when this is when they decide, okay, we'll put our pe- pedal to the metal. We'll make up for our horrible play in the in the second period, and we'll go for it. So I tend to think that's not random. That's the Oilers actually playing to their potential. But in the second period, I think I just wonder like maybe I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I just think it like they're clearly getting outplayed. Yes. In the last five games, the Grade A shots mm-hmm. in the second period are 39 for the opposition, 22 for the Oilers. They're they're getting outplayed in the second period. But what's going on, do you think? Like, what do you think is, ha- like, because it's so weird to you, like, usually we complain, oh, they got outplayed in the first, or they couldn't hold a lead in mm-hmm. the third. I can't remember, even in the decade of darkness that's going on, oh, in the second period, the owners just keep getting stomped. It's such mm-hmm. a strange, it's a strange thing, Bruce. Well, Any it, theories on why?
1: They're an outscoring team, and then yet in the second period, it's 53-4, <gasps> 55 against us on the whole season now. Okay. And in the third, 67-46, to 46, plus 21. And they were minus team in the second period. And then if you go just since the start of their winning streak on uh, December 21st. Yeah. And in all that time, they are just totally dominant in the uh, third period to the tune of 43-4, 14 against. 43-4, 14 against. And 3-0 in overtime on top of that.
0: It's conditioning, boys. It's conditioning, yeah, well, Bruce. I mean, our boys are our boys are conditioned. They're, you
1: know, they're conditioned to make it as far as the near bench at the end of their shift. But if it's the far bench, yeah. I mean, I do think that 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 far. It's a thing for every team, but it, it seems to me the orders have a lot of trouble with it, making their shifts shorter. I'd yeah. like to see a, a serious study of shift length. I'm sure it's been done by period, and the second period would be longer. Than the yeah. others for that reason, yeah. just can't get off or whatever. And that the play you described was a classic example. Even as they did get off, they didn't get off safely, and they got burned.
0: Yeah. So I don't have any idea why the others are getting whipped in the second period. Like I can't
1: think of one. So it goes back years. You think so? I used to sit in the defensive corner in the first and third period. So the Oilers would attack our end in the second period. And I used to often bitterly complain they'd play their worst period in the second. The puck would be at the far end for all three periods. There you go. There you go.
0: But it's like you say, though, it the other team has a long change, too. The other team has yeah, a oh long yeah. change.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Okay. That long change is a huge challenge, and league-wide, there's more goals in the second period than the first or the third. Okay. And the third, I, the third, the only reason it's close, in my recollection of studying it some time ago now, was that of course almost all of the, basically all of the empty net goals happened in the third period to inflate the totals. Uh, but the second period, where you know real goals against goalies, there's more in the second than than any any other. Yeah, makes sense, right? Long change. Yeah, Yeah. oh yeah, it's hard. And it's also the short change. This is the the unappreciated part of it. And I learned this by studying and restudying, carefully studying The Shift, uh, starring uh, Jason Strudwick and Taylor Chorney, when they played three minutes and 45 seconds of continuous action against all 18 members of the Detroit Red Wings, who kept making the short change coming pouring over the boards from just inside, outside the Oilers' blue line. And they kept changing, and they had fresh troops on. They literally cycled through all four lines, all three defense pairs during the uh, the, uh, the Strudney and Chorwick, as we used to call them, uh, shift. It was, it, And I studied that shift, and the more I watched it, the more I realized there's a reason Detroit's able to keep this pressure on, because not only do they have fresh troops, they're just making a bee line right to the puck because they're coming from the near blue line. And for Stradenitwick and, and uh, Charney, the, the, the bench might as well have been a thousand miles away. You know, they just were never
0: going to, get Poor, to guys. It. Poor guys. Guys, <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's fine. And they never scored. I'll say that. But it was uh, it was a, uh, a, a a true. It's it's like an instructional video. And like I say, it's not just for what the defensive team was unable to do, which is get the puck deep ever. Uh, I still shake my head at Patrick O'Sullivan losing it at the far blue line, so they came pouring back again. Uh, But it was more what Detroit was doing to keep the cycle going, and they kept making these changes while the puck was cycling and pouring. And because the bench was so close, the change was rapid. And so they were able to keep five guys in the zone and the pressure on.
0: It's on YouTube, Bruce.
1: Yes, it is. I watched it is. many I times. Just,
0: I've just uh, <laughs> called it up. I was wondering if it was on YouTube. Oh yeah. So there you go.
1: Does it say the shift at the top of it?
0: It says Kater <laughs> Charney and Jason Strudwick, three minutes. Uh, I don't have it. Forty-five have it,
1: seconds. It. Yeah. Three minutes, and forty-five seconds. I can tell that for fact.
0: So, Bruce, uh, this is. I'm going to do something I've never done before on the Cult of Hockey podcast. My number is from another game. Because I was looking at the scores. I was looking at the scores, and I'm looking, okay, like 4 nothing and 3-2 and whatever, you know, 5-3 and blah, blah, blah. And then I saw 10-7, and I thought, it's suddenly football. I just my, – my, I, I couldn't process what I was seeing. I thought, that's the shots. Am I looking at shots totals here?
1: they Are playing football what today?
0: Looking, what am I looking at? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I can't remember – the last time I've seen a score like this, 10-7, the Wild beat the Vancouver Canucks. So not only is the score remarkable, it was fantastic to see 10 goals scored against the Vancouver Canucks. And I don't even like yet hate this Vancouver Canucks team too much. I haven't seen them enough to really dislike them. I'm sure that'll come if we see them in the playoffs. But I, I sure like seeing them give up 10 goals. That uh, that was very pleasing because I think they're one of the they've been one of the best defensive teams in the NHL. They've got one of the best goalies in Thatcher Demko.
1: But yeah, ten, I'm trying to see who was in net for them ten, today.
0: Ten goals against. Um, Kirill Kaprizov had six points, and Joel, Joel Eriksson-Eck had six points as well. Uh-huh. So Matt Boldy, I, four points. I got Eriksson-Eck
1: in my draft, so I checked that summary right away and was pleased.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, you must have been. You must have been shocked. I only had
1: one player in the game. I saw 10-7, uh-oh, then... JT Miller relieved.
0: had a hat trick for Vancouver. Yeah,
1: that's one Canuck I do not like. JT, JT Miller. Miller. He's a good player. I just don't like him. Yeah, I don't. I don't really like any of the Canucks. So.
0: <laughs> All right, that's my number, Bruce. Seven
1: but in the third, David. Is that right. It was five-three for Vancouver after the second, until Minnesota outscored Vancouver seven-two in the third. On shots that were ten to eight, they got they shot Minnesota shot seventy percent in the third period. Well, the
0: Excel Center <laughs> in Minnesota must have been rocking in that third period. They two must have just been goals. loving that. Oh, that's good. That's
1: there was good. a game Edmonton uh, at Vancouver, years and years ago, probably eighty three, and Vancouver led Edmonton six uh, two uh, uh, late in the second, seven uh, three. Late in the second. And oh, I think Oilers got one at the end of the second. And then they poured in six more in the third period and they won by the exact same score 10 to seven.
0: Okay. Here's something even more interesting, Bruce. They scored 10 goals on 27 shots. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that'll that'll hurt your save percentage. <laughs> Have we figured out who was in net? Let me see here.
1: Uh, game summary, you'll tell us. It was yeah. uh, Casey to Smith.
0: Ah, uh, poor Casey. And being
1: despair. the backup, he did not get the mercy pull at any point because that, when the backup plays, it's kind of the starters stay yeah, off. they need that. And they, they that. the day off. Whereas if the starter's having a rough ride or the team is stinking it up, they'll pull the starter and the poor backup will have to clean up that game as well. But yeah, it was the Smith's game to lose today and that's what he did with it. He did that think you'd win with seven goals of support and 27 shots against wouldn't you yeah just saying
0: our conundrum tonight Bruce is Sam Gagné um I thought he had a really you know I, earlier in this year I've been raving about him saying I think this mm-hmm. is some of the best hockey I've seen in play he's just such a smart player he's playing strong two-way hockey then he got hurt And since he's come back um, and tonight uh, exemplifying this, I just, he's a step behind the game. He's looking like he's on, he's looking like he's 34 and he's looking like he's not well, not completely healthy. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know. But, and Derek Ryan, I thought Derek Ryan also was not looking great tonight. But we've had problems with Matthias Janmark, Connor Brown finally got, he got second time this year, I think, sent to the press box. And um, so this is why we hear, you know, Oilers insiders say the Oilers need two players, I think, two forwards. And so I'm thinking, yeah, I don't think you can count. Unless Sam Gagne can turn things around. You're not going to be able to count on him in the playoffs. Maybe he can amp it up for one game, but he, he does seem like he's – He's lagging quite a bit. And I'm a little worried. I'm not worried about Connor Brown. I heard Coach Knobloch on the radio saying he's been playing well. And he's going to be a big part of our team. I think Connor Brown had a rough game, but I think he actually yep. has been playing okay on defense. And maybe they might even get some scoring. I'm a little less confident about that. But I, I am confident about his defensive play. Janmark's always been a good defensive player. Yep. Derek Ryan's always been pretty good. So those, like if they have to play two of those three guys, but I, I do think they're going to have to bring in one or two bottom-line players. Mm-hmm. There's just no doubt about it.
1: Gagne made one good pass in the third period from a backhand sauce pass for a one-timer from, I think, Janmark. In the Correct. Slot.
0: That was a nice play.
1: And otherwise, I th- I thought he really stood out, not in a good way, in defensive zone coverage. He was sort of the, you know, the cat chasing the laser pointer and sense sense of the play was always ahead of him and he always seemed to be in the wrong place, not really covering the point man, not really covering the point man's options and sort of just slow getting to the place he needed to be. And that shift just before that Bukestad goal was like was rewatched that shift and and Gagne was covering the near side board, so I was really noticing him and he was just uh it seemed like out of his element in that specific moment.
0: Um, Such a great story when he came back to the team mm-hmm. this year.
1: Yeah, and ahead. it was so
0: surprising. He just looked like he was ageless, like the, Like he might even be able to play another year. Yeah. But so players up, up and downs. So I don't, don't want to make, maybe he'll bounce back in the next little while and, and show that he's, but I think that he hasn't, do you, do you agree with me that he hasn't been the same player since the injury that he's, since he's come back, he just has not looked sharp at all. Maybe they should send him to the minors for to get some more ice time and try to get him back into shape for the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Well, he played nine minutes and 12 seconds today. And this was after playing the least amount of any oiler on Saturday, it was six, six and change. I think that was, and he got against New Jersey. That happened just before Christmas, the first game of the winning streak. he got two assists in that game. And then he took a stick in the head oh, uh, and yeah. the third period. And that, that first of all, there was talk was dental work and stuff, but then he missed the bunch of games and the, the word was he he had concussion symptoms mm-hmm. which i think means concussion same yeah. way shot mentality means shot you know yeah shooting you don't need the second word uh, uh, i think he probably was concussed and uh he's just sort of been he's been a lot of 13th forward and he spotted in and out he did get that one like ultra fluke Quintuple deflection game winner at Calgary, yeah. But that was more good luck than than great play. Uh, and these last two games, like, it just he just looks a step behind. Maybe it's because he hasn't played enough and needs to get more reps. But he's yeah. uh, he's not at the top of his game right now, and he's not alone in that department. But when you're old and and slow to begin with, it really stands out. Indeed, indeed.
0: Alrighty, I was just thinking that you could be talking about me and my vintage hockey league. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, you can be old and slow and still be effective. I mean, Corey, Corey Perry, was, his, his lack yeah. of speed showed up on one of the goals, but he didn't waste any, any, any time going after uh, Jack McBain when McBain pushed Dylan Holloway into Stuart Skinner after the whistle. And he had big Corey Perry in his face instantly, and they wound up just getting you know a small tussle and and uh, offsetting minors. But I just like there was an oiler sort of you don't fool around with any any part of our blue paint or our goalie without uh, having to answer for it. And of course, this is Corey Perry who spends the rest of his time messing around in the other team's blue paint with their goalie. So <laughs> it's kind of fun to watch.
0: Well, Corey Perry, he can't complain about the opportunities getting at Edmonton so far. Like he's been on the top line, he's been on the second and third lines. Like he's, and he's he's holding his own in those in those roles. So, and he he looks like he might be able to help the team in those roles. So, well, Bruce, you got the game grades to do really? tonight. So let's leave All her right. there. And uh, thanks for thanks for talking tonight.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.